welcome everybody to episode 81. It's just Chris and I this time. Bill is having a much deserved vacation. So Chris and I are going to catch up and talk about some very un-Bill things today. <laughs> uh, but before we do that, uh, what you been up to, Chris? Ah, well, I don't know if I would say it's as exciting as a vacation like Bill's getting right now. But, uh, you know, a few things I've been up to. Um, so I guess first off, in terms of gaming, it's it's about the same thing as last time. So I'm, I'm kind of waiting on you guys. Well, I'm not waiting on you guys. I'm waiting on Bill to get done with Mass Effect 3 so we can have our chat on it, and then we can dig into Mass Effect Andromeda. So in the meantime, I've just been playing the multiplayer just to, you know, keep in tip-top shape for the combat. And, uh, you know, I'm still having a really good time with it. It's, they're short. They're like 20-minute sessions. So, you know, you they're pretty quick and uh, has some fun kind of, you know, it's loot boxy, but it's not bad. It's not like money. Uh, so, you know. It's, is it it's, is it similar to ME3 combat wise, yes. or is it quite different? It's pretty much the same thing as ME3, except uh, of course now you've got jump jets, so it's more Ooh. vertical. Okay. Um, that's cool. Than it was before. So if you liked what was in ME3, you'll like this, and if you didn't like what was in ME3, you won't like this either. I forgot to send you a picture, but well, I, I was also on a vacation recently, but uh, got back a few days ago. And I went to a comic store, and they had a lot of figures and models all over the place. Oh. And going upstairs to their, like, single-issue area, it was just lined with uh, action figures from video games. Um, oh. And I took a picture. They had a bunch of Mass Effect Andromeda toys that are very boring-looking. So I was wondering if uh, there was more interesting characters than the riders. Um... Yes, the writers are extremely dull. I'll be really honest with you. Scott and Sarah Ryder, yeah, and they just look so generic. They well, I mean, obviously, they yeah, you can build your own character. It is Mass Effect, so you don't have to stick with, um, you know, blonde eye, blonde hair, blue eyed, twenty year old guy if you don't want to. Um, which I didn't, because yeah, they, you know, I. What's a nice way to say this? He kind of looks like a jerk, to be honest. <laughs> like a person like I would not want to spend my time with the default. So I'm like, yeah, this no. Sounds that's not. like he fits your renegade playstyle, though. Uh, well, there is no more renegade in Paragon in, in oh, Mass Effect I Andromeda. So, um, yeah, you'll find out. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, but one thing, though, I did have to start a character because in the multiplayer stuff, you do earn like drops and whatever stuff that plays into the single player. So there's multiple reasons to do it. And um, so I had to start a new character up because there's only so much of that you can hold before you have to like cash it in. So I um, I actually did new game plus because since I'd already beat the game before, I just, I'm like, okay, I'll just pick up with my old character and I'll just play through it again. I don't remember much. It's been, you know, three, four years now since the game came out. So um, I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's really just you start at your same level with your same item. So I'll just get a head start on some of that. But, I mean, the game itself, you still go through everything like you have to. Uh, and I didn't do anything other than, like, the first prerequisite little mission, which I remembered all of anyway. So I don't think that's a big deal. I'm not really... So maybe I'm an hour in. But uh, I'll just yeah. park and stay there until you guys are, are ready to go and play some uh, multiplayer and be loaded up with junk. <laughs> so um i'm surprised though i mean you know for a game as old as it is i have no problem finding matches i mean the people are still playing it pretty regularly yeah. 
So, and a game uh, that got kind of crapped on as much as it did, I didn't realize there was an audience for it in that department. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, the multiplayer, is that's saying, it's fun. You know, if you enjoyed it in Mass Effect 3, you'll enjoy it here. It's It's got an entertaining quality to it. And again, like the matches are, think, are just enough. And that way, you know, if you want to sit and crack through a few of them, kill an hour or whatever, go for it. If you just want to do one and done, it's pretty easy to do that too. Um, so anyway, yeah, I've been goofing off with that. Um, outside of that, uh, some other just stuff that's going on. First off, it's Evo weekend. So Evo online series started this weekend. Um, Street Fighter, uh, finals for the U.S. are tomorrow night. So tonight it was, or today, I should say, because of Europe. Um, they had their finals today and then tomorrow is, uh, top four U.S. East and West. So I'll, uh, I'll be watching that tomorrow evening. Evo's always fun, and you know, usually Evo's a little more fun when it's live, but I get it. They have to do what they have to do. So how do you feel about Luke being the final character? <laughs> yeah, I have him on my list here. So I don't know. Did you watch the announcement? I didn't. No, I've just seen some like images uh, scrolling through Twitter. Yeah, so um, they had a, the summer update the other day and a stream and whatnot. <laughs> and then they're talking about you know the ongoing things. They're doing some updates to like really make their tournament um, mode much better. And, uh, as part of that, you know, they, they've been saying that, you know, obviously this is the final season of, uh, Street Fighter V in terms of like new content. And they've been teasing for a long time, like who's, you know, this last character, they're going to make it be a surprise. And so they finally reveal a, um, the next two characters, Oro and Akira come out, I think after Evo. So, um, I think next weekend is when they hit. Both. And, and then after that, you know, it's going to be the wait for Luke. They showed Luke. And Luke is like, um, basically like a mixed martial arts. He looks like a, he's a guy from UFC. Yeah. Uh, essentially. Yeah. Uh, which I get, right? That's popular. And it's a Street Fighter game. They incorporate all different styles in, in their game. So it's not surprising to me at all. But what they did say in the reveal is that they wanted to use this character as a vision of the future of where street fighter is going so the hint being that hey he's going to be a character that we're going to see in street fighter 6 and so you know the next game he's going to be a piece of that uh, which is nice because give us a bridge right kind of tell us a little of his backstory maybe that gives us a little information about the backstory of 6 when that comes out hopefully next year and uh you know he looks you know like ufc white guy <laughs> i don't know what else to say <laughs> Uh, but his moves look, do look pretty cool. I will say that he just got some pretty cool looking moves. So we'll see how he plays and everything. And, you know, I guess in some ways it's kind of sad to see the end of street fighter five for you. Probably not as much. Maybe you're excited to see street fighter six and it's better. I don't know. Like just the, the, how they model all fighting games now, just, I, they've lost me. I don't, I don't want a new character every month and a balance patch. I just want the game out with everything that's going to be in it. And I know they can't do that anymore, but those days are gone. Yeah. I'll like, I'll wait until there's a game of the year street fighter five edition. That's got everything that came out and get that version and play it, you know, 10 years after you guys enjoyed it. (laughs) I would imagine that. Yeah. You'll probably have one of those, um, 
come next year there'll probably be a final version or whatever that has everything yeah, it won't be on disc though so don't worry you'll still have to download it all oh well then i'm out again uh, <laughs> Guil- guilty gear strive looks amazing but same thing like i just fighting games are all that model now like smash bros is like that everything's like that and it just drives me nuts um i get it they have to because um it's working for them they have to make money i mean that's the whole thing is like you can't do one and done because they support these games and tournaments and everything for years and you can't just like i'm gonna sell you one game and nothing else and now i'm gonna fork out all this cash for years and years and years it just doesn't work so um i'm, I'm not mad at them i know that's what they've got to do to i'm sell not mad product. either i like i realize this works for most people just not for me yeah, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm super casual about playing, so I don't get into all these. It's fun for me to watch. I will say that watching tournaments, Street Fighter V is probably in the best place it's ever been in terms of balance. When you watch major tournaments now, you'll see such a huge variety of characters, and you know how like classic Street Fighter that just doesn't happen, right? There's some characters yeah. that just never get touched ever because yeah. they're you, you trash. Get, you're like three to five that show up in most of the tournaments, and you're lucky to get a like a surprise person in there, right? Like, the, and I was watching. I've, I haven't seen the rest of it yet, but I was watching part of a tournament for uh, Australia, and so it was a top sixteen, and there were fourteen different characters in the top Whoa. sixteen. That's very impressive. Yeah, so they've done a, you know, they've had time obviously, but they've done a great job of balance. And it really makes it feel like just about every character is viable. And so that gives you some great variety. It's a lot of fun to watch. And I'm sure, you know, for the people that play a lot, they love that as well. Yeah, that's got to be hard. Like, the rosters are big, too. you got to know a lot of matchups to play tournament level. 40-something characters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Uh, 30 of them are viable to show up in a tournament. That's, that's, yeah, that's tough to train for. Yeah, they've done a really good job with the systems. I'll be curious, obviously, every time a new Street Fighter comes out, they have to put some new swing on the system and whatnot. Obviously, for Street Fighter V, it was the V system. Um, but it wasn't un- totally unlike the other ones. Also, you know, 4, it was, eventually yeah. it was the Ultra. Um, but, you know, anyway, we'll see what that turns out to be. I'll be curious to check that out. Um, like I, I'm excited to see what 6 looks like. Because, like, 4 and 5 didn't click with me like the older Street Fighters. Um, so I am I love Street Fighters still. So I'm, I'm always hopeful that it's something I'm, I'm into. Cool. Um, <clears throat> outside of that, I guess while we're talking about gaming, you'd, you'd want me to mention to you. So I pre-ordered Astria Ascending um, yeah. for PS5. And this is one I kind of caught through um, Nintendo. Like, you know, uh, it's just a, like one of those video, one of those games they showcased, but it's coming out for all systems. So, an indie game? Um, no, it's a JRPG. Oh, um, okay. And, uh, but the, the attractive thing to me about it is, um, like on PS5, it's only $40. Okay. So, I'm like, okay, A, hey, it's something to play on PS5. B, um, I like turn-based RPGs, JRPGs, which is what this is, and it's only forty dollars. So the, the name makes it sound kind of sci-fi. Is it sci-fi or is it like fantasy, like most JRPGs? It's fantasy. So when you watch a video of it, it kind of—I mean—it reminds you of a two D turn-based RPG. Um, you know, I think the storyline has something to do with like these characters are like demigods that are born to like do a certain thing, and they only live so long, so they have to have this fight to protect whatever you know the story whatever it is it doesn't matter and uh 
so they're just sworn to this one purpose. And um, so anyway, it looks fun. It's pretty cheap. I mean, for a brand new PS5 game, forty dollars. I don't know what it is on Switch or anything, but has the the guys that are putting it out have they done any other games I might know of? Um. Well, I mean, we'll do this live right here. I'm just gonna look and see who put this thing out. So, um, yeah, this is probably going to take way too long for me to look at this thing because <laughs> it's bringing up a website and this is going to be boring. Or maybe you can just edit this out in a minute. How's that? Yeah, I got no time for that. Oh, okay. Anyway, well, I, I don't know. I, I okay. say, oh, um, I... Dear Villagers Artisan Studios. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I never, but there's like a famous Japanese guy that's behind a lot of this stuff. It looks kind of cool. It's got neat artwork, you know, and some nice 2D artwork to it and uh it comes out i think in september uh, oh, so again it's yeah I it's like ps4 up, ps5 um, i will look up a trailer for this because uh yeah I, tr- I trust your judgment with jrpgs if it looks cool i'm gonna check it out and i figure that's you know for at least from the what i've seen so far it looks like fun and again it's 40 dollars, so it's not like i'm spending 70 for like a new ps5 game to try it out and yeah. uh and it's interesting, though, because they have, uh, again, like a native PS5 version, a PS4 version, and and a Switch version. So it's kind of interesting that they're starting to do native PS5s, even for like stuff that, obviously, here, the backwards compatibility would yeah. be just fine. Just fine. And for um, a JRPG, yeah, I don't think anybody would have complained either. Yeah, so it kind of it's like almost odd that they're pressing discs for this, but, oh, it's fine. I'll buy it. Works yeah. for me. Um, moving on to other stuff, I watched Suicide Squad. Uh, it nice. came out on HBO Max, you know, day one, same day as the theaters. And I won't spoil anything for anybody. I know you haven't seen it yet, but I enjoyed it. It's not going to be like one of those movies where you go, oh, man, this changed my life. It's just fun. <laughs> it's just goofy superhero fun. And that's what I go for. It's just like if you enjoyed the last like the Harley Quinn movie. Um, it's that, except now it's obviously got more characters that are involved. It's just that same sort of, it's just fun. Yeah. Um, and I, like King shark is essentially like Hulk in this. So yeah. if, if you want a dopey uh, character, that's kind of funny. And now, you know, another version of Hulk essentially. <laughs> there, there's a few that looked really fun in this. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it more than I have for a DC movie in quite a while. I like James Gunn movies typically, so it is very much a James Gunn film. So awesome. if you like his style, when you watch a little bit and you're like, "Yep, I know who did this movie," <laughs> there is no doubt. Um, but it, even the way it opens, even is like uh, a little surprising. It kind of catches you off guard for a minute, and. Uh, kind of remind you of what the suicide squad's all about we'll just say we'll just say that much good, good. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun so if you want to go in i again don't sit and just go in and say like do i want to sit and laugh and watch a good action flick for two hours this is your movie if you want to sit and dissect this as if it doesn't get everything right and is this going to change your life or no it's not move on <laughs> um it's not that kind of movie and then last but not least, I hope this will be someday a future pickup, but I was at work, and uh, obviously I work in healthcare, and we were going through a place doing a, a demo, and uh, on one of the carts, I look up, and there's this big Sony PVM 
uh, CRT monitor, and uh, and it's an education space. Like most of these places have gotten rid of these things years ago, but since it's an education space, they've not right because it's not they're not going to spend a lot of money putting new equipment in. So the guy that runs it, I'm like, okay, I know this won't make any sense to you, but this to me, this is gold. So <laughs> you got to do me the biggest favor when this thing is getting replaced. They're just going to e-waste it, right? That's ex- that's all they're going to do with it. Just call me. I will come and get it. And because if not, this will literally end up in a landfill. And this thing, you know, they just, you can't get these things there. Yeah. Or without paying through the nose. So I, I hope in the future to have a nice 20 inch uh, PVM. It's a good size for PVM. Holy. Yes. It's a lot like my 25er that I've got. It's just, uh, it's just a smaller version of it. So it's basically the same thing. Good luck. Yeah, so you know, I will. Uh, I'll see him again, and I'll be like, "Hey, buddy." And if he said something about, "Hey, I, I think I've got the replacement for it somewhere," I'm like, "Just don't forget me, right?" <laughs> so, <laughs> so hopefully that will come home with me here at some point in time. But that's kind of a little about what I've been up to. So, how about yourself? Um. Well, I went on a camping trip, so my gaming different than than previous uh, but i did bring my 3ds with me on that trip so i've I put some time into shin megami tensei 4 which i just started i think last show so I'm, I'm a decent way into that now i think i'm about probably three quarters the way in if i had to guess um, and it keeps getting weird i love it so interesting so i think i mentioned last time it's like medieval kind of feeling Mm-hmm. Uh, but like right after I said that to you guys, you, you go down and it, and it feels like it's going to be a dungeon crawler. And then you like go through like five really short dungeons and then you're in Tokyo, uh, which is typical for a Shin Megami game. Uh, I just, it, they caught me off guard and I wasn't expecting it to go there again, but they did. And it's cool because Tokyo's like been underground for like a few decades and the church above where you live has been like hiding it from you. They obviously know it's down there and they call them the underdwellers and they're like fighting to survive. And there's these like rival gangs and stuff. Really interesting story. Um, so I'm, I'm really, really enjoying that one still. Um, I, I beat Bill Elliott's NASCAR challenge a couple days ago, which I was stuck on for a little while. Uh, My but- condolences. Yeah, it, it's it's a tough game. It's a tough game. I got lucky, and I don't know how, because I, I kind of felt like Bill Elliott was supposed to get first every single time. But I was able to do one race where he got third place, and that oh. gave me enough of a point lead that I was able to, to win overall. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> my, my family's gone, so I, I've been waiting for a good opportunity to play the mutant virus, because... I, I knew it was going to be tough, but I also knew it had infinite continues. So I'm like, I just need a long <laughs> enough session that I can leave my system on and record and do it. And so they're gone. I'm like, I have a full day. I made sure to do all my chores the day before, <laughs> take the dogs out for a good walk, like make sure everything was good. So I sat down at about 10 a.m. with the mutant virus and I had at, at the absolute latest till 1030 before I went to work. Uh, and I'm at 10.15, and I finished a run on the last stage that I lost. I'm like, I don't have time for another run today. That's 12, like 12 hours? That is 12 hours. Like, it wasn't straight, but it was most of that. Like, 10 hours of that was playing because, you know, I just stopped to, like, go to the bathroom. Yeah. Phone call, have a meal. Oh, my goodness. 
so I didn't finish it though. So I, I'm like, I'm, I'm not worried about leaving my system on overnight, but I'm like, I don't know if my capture setup can handle a 20 hour <laughs> recording, but I'm going to try. So I got back from work in the morning and it still looked like it was running. So it took me another like two hours and I was able to finish it off. I guess I, guess I needed a good sleep to get my, my mind back because it seemed to make a little more sense after. But now I've got this weird issue where I've got this huge recording on my, it's like a 23 hour recording on my laptop. So usually I transfer my files uh, via a thumb drive onto my desktop and then I can do any editing or uploading and stuff I need to. This won't fit on my thumb drive. I, I have no way to transfer it reliably. And my capture setup, it cuts off the MP4 videos that it records at 10 hours apparently. So I, I thought I'd lost it. But then if you look into the, the other data records, I have a TS file, which I'm yeah. not familiar with. Yeah. But it... The TS file is the full video. Yeah. TS so, stands for transport stream. That's where the video lives. Okay. So do you know if I can upload that one to YouTube or do I need no, to convert that have to, to an MP4? It. You'll okay. have to convert it. Um, well, you just toss it over your network. I mean, obviously you've got a network. so I, you can Obviously just... I, I don't have a network. I don't have a network. They're both computers are all connected to your router, right? Yes. Then you have a network. I do. Okay, so is that the same as uploading something through Wi-Fi? Um, I mean, you could do it through Wi-Fi. Yeah, you would just um, you create a shared folder through Wi-Fi. You could create a shared folder and then upload it, or you could do it through Wired. Um, All right. Here, here's my issue with uploading: is currently, if I upload a video that's like nine hours long. <clears throat> it, it makes our like our internet is so bad that it makes it so we can't my family can't watch like a netflix show or even load a webpage <laughs> sometime for a week if i'm doing a nine hour video so doing a 23 hour video is like three weeks so i don't know if i can put my family through that for three weeks oh my gosh when are you getting fiber uh supposedly september so just hold on to the Christ. file until september man yeah that's that's my current plan but but the other issue with that is it's such a huge file that I have way less space on my laptop now to record other stuff. So Yeah, just transfer it to use... your PC. What's that? Just transfer it to your PC. Create a shared folder on your PC, on your desktop, and then throw it. You'll be throwing it over Wi-Fi, but you'll throw it on your local network. It won't affect internet speeds. No? Okay. You'll walk me through this later. I'll, I'll show you. Yeah, Bill or any of those guys on Slack or whatever. Yeah, we can do that. Awesome. So, yeah, Mutant Virus is a really terrible game. It's, <laughs> it's a cool idea that I am positive you could make some really small, easy changes and actually make it fun. But the way it is, is really frustrating and annoying and just not very good. I, I would never have guessed. Yeah. Uh, Who so did that one? Who did more that one? Uh, rocket Science. Wow. Early Rocket Science game. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So more fun today. I was like, I want something a little, little more palatable. Uh, so yeah, I popped in Gauntlet. And oh, and I used to have Gauntlet back in the day. I could never finish it, even though I had the stupid codes, because I couldn't figure out, like, at the very end of the game, like, what what series of screens and portals to go through to get to the very end. You So you got, like, the, the codes from the treasure rooms? Yes. Oh, okay. I haven't got that far yet. So I'm, I'm only done, like, the first, like, 20 stages or something and then i've got my save code so i'll I'll pick that up again tomorrow 
But so far it rocks. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it's a good game. It's uh, yeah, cool variation of the arcade game um, that you know kind of makes the single player work for the home console. And the music's really good too. Yeah, yeah. Do you? Oh, that's well. I was going to ask if you have the licensed version or not, but then I caught myself. So never mind. Uh, Go ahead. I have both, but I'm, yeah, I'm playing the licensed one. Um, a couple days ago, I started picking up uh, Digital Devil Saga with my buddy again. Uh, we've been stuck on a boss for weeks now. Uh, Whoa. So we've we've grinded uh, up 12 levels and then took another shot at this boss, and he still mopped the floor with us. Oh. Uh, so we're, we're trying to figure out how to get past this boss. It's not even like the last boss. It's just like that typical Shimigami. They're like right in the middle somewhere. We're going to drop this brick wall for you to get past but like we are so crazy leveled that by the time we get past this thing we're just going to blow through the rest of the game which is steam, steamroll it yeah yeah Ish. yeah um oh and fun little story i wanted to tell about my camping trip okay so we've i've got this nephew i think he's eight now maybe seven okay um and he's he's always been a real handful um like he like what you got to watch that he doesn't walk into traffic or like mm. just wander off and nobody typically knows what he's talking about uh but for his last birthday his parents asked him what he wanted and he was like i want an atari 2600 and they were Whoa. like what <laughs> what do you want why do you want that like they don't understand but they got him they found one of those like plug and plays at the pharmacy kind of thing <laughs> oh yeah it's flashbacks like, ten, 10 games built into it I don't even think it's a flashback. It's like just the controller plugs into the TV. Oh, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so he's got this for the last like month or so. And it's all he talks about at home. And so they're getting like just frustrated. It's like he's so obsessed. Like he doesn't even like play it all day. Like because we don't let him. But he's all he wants to talk about is Atari. And so they knew this camping trip was coming up. And they're like, you're going to you're going to love your uncle. Kelsey. <laughs> talk to him about atari like he's the only person that we know that could talk with you about atari so the second i got out of the car he runs up and he's like i've got an atari and he just starts <laughs> talking and so for like four days straight non-stop talk about these 10 specific atari games that he's got plugged into his machine so and what are they awesome so i could probably name most of them still uh so adventure breakout centipede millipede uh, Warlords, Canyon Bomber. A lot of classics. Uh, yeah, it's not a, not a bad lineup. So there's a few others I'm forgetting, but th- those are the ones we mainly talked about. He, he's loves Centipede. That's his that's his jam right now. So are you going to send this poor kid a real 2600? So he's like, I, I was telling him about a real 2600 because he just keeps, he, all he knows is his plug and play. And so he's like eating it all up. And I'm telling him like, cause he's like, have you ever played Warlords? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, have you seen this arcade version too? And I'm showing him this like four player. And uh, I'm like, what? he's like, what else do I need to play? And I'm like, well, we just talked about Pitfall a lot. You got to play some Pitfall. <laughs> and uh, I asked him if he played Adventure. And he's like, no, but my sister did. And I watched her. Like, I know about Adventure. And so we're talking about that. And I think his parents like felt bad because of how much time he was like clinging to me and talking to me. They're like, they're like, he must need a break. But I honestly, like, I feel so out of place at these kind of family things. It was yeah. so nice to have someone to talk to something. I knew what they were talking about. Uh, even if it was repetitive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was happy to learn about stuff too. And like he, he walked up to me on like the third day and was like, 
do you know about the Magnavox Odyssey? <laughs> and I was like, how do you know about the Magnavox Odyssey? He's like, I read a book about the Magnavox Odyssey. What? I thought I was the only person I knew that read a book about the Magnavox Odyssey. And his dad's like, I don't know where he got that book. Like, he just, he has it. So, like, this kid has time-traveled from the 1970s or something? It's so bizarre, and he's so into it. Um, so, yeah, we like, we've made plans. Next time we get together, he really wants to play Centipede and Adventure with me. And I told him, uh, I want to show him a couple of my favorite games, like Phoenix and Frostbite. Um, yeah, it was really cool. And then uh, one day, we had some other family come. So, all the adults, you know, are sitting out on lawn chairs and, and visiting. And he hadn't talked to me in, like, two or three hours, which is really weird. <laughs> so I saw him biking by and I stopped him and I went over and I was like, everything okay? Like you haven't said much today. He's like, Oh, I just didn't want to bother you. You're, you know, you're over there talking with all the adults. And I said, I'm really bored when you see me <laughs> doing that. So you can come and save me sometimes. And then like 20 minutes later, he bikes up next to me and he, he leans really close to my ear and whispers. He's like, do you need saving? <laughs> and I said, yes. And he's like, well, let me tell you about warlords on the 2600. And he just starts <laughs> going off about it again really you have to teach this kid about emulators uh yeah well he's talking about trying to get his dad to his dad's a tech savvy guy uh trying to get him to throw some extra roms on his flashback if he can and, and get some extra games because it sounds like the controller is decent i don't know or just uh you know scour your your resource we'll get the kid a 2600 yeah i agree Get a, get, uh, get, obviously, I have to AV mod it because I'm yeah, sure I was gonna no say, RF, he but... does not have a TV at his house that can run a regular 2600 right now. I do know that uh, I was like the Flashback 2 or something. You can actually cartridge mod. You can put a cartridge slot in it That's and it will work. I didn't know that. Yeah, crazy. it's actually built like there's a spot on the PCB for it, which is crazy. Nuts. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you had a cool nephew then. I've got a cool nephew. I didn't realize he was cool until this summer. <laughs> like last time I was there, I, he got stung by like 30 bees and we no! had to take him to the emergency room. It was crazy. Yikes. Okay. Yeah. So, um, the only other thing I wanted to bring up, I was hoping Bill was here for it. I don't know if you're into Blade Runner like Bill is. I am fun. not into Blade Runner like Bill is. Nobody is into Blade Runner like Bill is. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I finally picked up Blade Runner 2049 and watched it. Okay. What'd you it think? Was, it was awesome. Okay. That like I can't think of another example of like a classic movie where they've done a sequel or a remake or anything related to the franchise that like is as good as the first thing ever. Like this is as good as the old Blade Runner, which just kind of blew my mind. Okay. Um, and I mean, I still have not seen it, so I don't. Uh, I know, obviously, like Harrison Ford where he does his part, and then they have like well, whoever that flavor of the month young guy was. Oh, uh, Ryan Gosling's no flavor of the month. He's around to stay. Oh, so, is he? Okay, yeah, gotcha. he's a young Brad Pitt. I he, gotcha. He, he's in some good stuff. Did they have a new Katy Perry lookalike uh, in the movie? <laughs> um, they they have uh, like a another female um, replicant that is uh, in the antagonist role. That was really interesting. Oh, okay. All right. Very good. And, like, he doesn't have a big part in it, but Batista's in it. Oh, okay. Awesome. Really good. Like, he's right at the start. He's an integral part of the movie, even though it's a short role, but, oh, awesome So he's uh, giving off his Drax vibes, or? (laughs) Oh, no, not at all. Like, he's very, very different. It was funny. There was, like, a little Twitter exchange that I kind of caught where, like, 
Somebody had asked him, like, why he didn't do the voice for, like, some Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know, it was, like, a cartoon or Oh, the game. Marvel What If stuff that's coming up. Yeah, and he was like, nobody asked me. And then there was, like, a reply by from, like, James Gunn that was like, what? <laughs> like, uh-oh, now you got the big boy yeah. uh, asking questions, so. <laughs> they probably just didn't want to pay his fee and... Cause it's animated. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course they didn't want to pay his fee. But, you know, once you get uh, now the director, you know, I was like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. got to treat my people right. <laughs> Definitely. All right, so that, that's it for my my last couple weeks since our last recording. Um, so with, with Bill away, um, I thought this would be a really good time to hit this topic because uh, I think I mentioned it two shows ago. I picked up this really great book from Bitmap Books, um, and it is just like the, it's called the CRPG book, and it's just like this awesome history of computer role playing games, starting in the like seventies on the Play-Doh up to I think twenty eighteen when the book was published. I'm, yeah, I'm not quite at the end yet. I'm I'm around two thousand nine right now. Mm-hmm. Have you ever? Go- I'm curious. Have you ever watched videos? Have you ever seen an Alto? running no there's quite a few videos you take a look and there's even some alto restoration videos and things that are out there alto was a pretty cool computer you know back in the day it was very neat and kind of ahead of its time so i ended up talking about play-doh and some of that stuff at that time but uh, definitely check that out because a lot of this stuff i'm reading about has been fascinating so yeah i want to dig deeper into this this realm yeah um, but when I picked up this book and I told Chris what I was reading, he, he gave me a little, he's like, let me know if there's any cool Apple II or Commodore 64 games that you come across. Yeah, because I have an Apple II and a Commodore 64. I'm an Apple IIe. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I don't know how you're approaching it. I guess we'll talk about it. But, I mean, I literally make discs and I play <laughs> discs. So go ahead. We, uh, so just when you said that, I kind of took a mental note. And, and when I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, this sounds cool. Chris might be interested in this. Chris might be interested in this. So I went back, made a list, uh, took some notes uh, so I can talk to you about games. Some of them you, you may know about, but hopefully I can shed some light on, on a few new ones that might uh, pique your interest. Okay. And before we get started too much, can you define, because back in the early days, things were a bit different than they are and what we would probably think of as an RPG. So do you want to define kind of the category you would you would talk about with classic CRPGs? Because I'm, I'm going to guess that some of the people listening to this probably aren't as familiar either. So you, you think most people's typical computer role-playing game is something like uh, like Wizardry or uh, Might and Magic, where they're like very dungeon crawlery and you're mapping things out and you've, you're either yourself or you've got a small party and it's very... D&D high fantasy themed a lot of the time mm-hmm. but not all of these follow that rule there's a bunch of just wild stuff I didn't know about that that's going to be kind of expand the term CRPG I think for, it did for me anyway very good alright I'm excited so, to hear about these so I've got 15 games I want to wow. talk to you about okay Most, um, like, are we breaking them out like we're going to do Apple first and then Commodore or are we bouncing around what are we doing so I've, I've kind of broken them down into three categories mm-hmm. uh, the first category I put down as historically significant. Okay. So these these are I just thought were very fascinating games. They might not be super fun anymore, but they're very important. Okay. I did I didn't put many in this category because I more just want you to have fun games, which is the next category. Games that sounded really really fun. All right. 
That's the biggest category. And then there's my favorite category, though, is fun and historically significant. Okay. <laughs> that's right. that's a, a co- both worlds. Yeah, I found a couple that kind of cross into that realm. And then I just have one series, nothing to do with Apple or Commodore 64. I just want to know if, if you're aware of it or if you've had any experience with it, because it sounded a lot like something you would enjoy. Okay. Okay, very good. All right, well, let's so get started. We're going to kind of, mostly kind of go chronologically. So we'll start at the back and work our way forward. Okay, so we're probably going to be starting with a lot of Apple II then. Yeah, this list is... Uh, probably pretty heavy mm, Apple II, if I had to guess. There's a lot that are on both, actually. Yeah, just being the Apple II being kind yeah. of the older system. Yeah, so do you know about Beneath Apple Manor? Beneath Apple... No, I have not heard of Beneath Apple Manor. All right, this was very old. This is 1978. Okay. And I would have in- only been four. <laughs> Uh, it is an extremely important game. So we're doing the historically significant first. We'll we'll do our eat our vegetables before we get to the the dessert. Okay, very good. So I know you don't like roguelikes. This is like one of the earliest roguelikes that was like commercially produced. One of the earliest that was not rogue. <laughs> no, it actually predates rogue by two oh. years. Oh, okay, very good. Yeah, yeah. This is like the rogue prototype. It sounds like both of them were kind of made independent of each other. They didn't influence each other. Yeah, uh, but, but this one definitely predates Rogue, so it's not very long. It's it's got that like procedurally generated levels. Um, it's got this cool system where you can like pay to have your brain scanned, which is like a save. Oh, so you, okay. You can't just save whenever you want. You have to like be able to afford to save. But then if you die and use that save, your your character is ten percent weaker each time. You do <laughs> Whoa! So it's pretty tough. Yeah. All right. But it's not like uh, like one of those endless sessions or like super super long dungeons. It sounds like you can do a, a playthrough in like you know two to four hours kind of thing. Yeah, well, I, I mean, people have to understand. I mean, the Apple II, like a floppy disk, and the Apple II would be, you know, you, these games are probably like maybe sixty k tops or something. If I had to guess, you know, they're not going to be very big. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just look. I got my book here, so if you hear page flipping. I'm just like trying to confirm facts with myself as I talk. Yeah, yeah. 16, 16k RAM. It says for the tape version and 32k for the disc version. Okay, so there you go. That's that's how big the whole game is. Um, you know, I'm guessing that the disc version must have some more, you know, pre-built stuff or whatnot. I think but... the disc version has like actual graphics, not just the ASCII. Uh, ah, okay. Stuff. There you go. Yeah. yeah, and that's this whole thing with games back then. Like tape was kind of the default. Discs were, I mean, on the Apple II, not as much because Apple IIs weren't cheap in the first place, and so a lot of people had disc drives. But um, you know, it still had provision for tape, and that was the common and affordable way for people to to buy things in most cases. Um, so yeah, that's not surprising. And yeah, the the discs themselves just. You know, they didn't hold much and they were single sided and, you know, so they just didn't hold very much. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the gameplay actually sounded pretty cool, too. Like you've got your really uh, small dungeon floors, but you don't just like run into a room. It's like you got to listen to the door. Do you hear anything in that room? Is there going to be a monster in there? Is it treasure chest? Is the chest trapped? So there's a little bit of like text parser stuff where you're you're actually interacting with the world as well. Almost like a text adventure. uh, to go along with the role-playing kind of stuff. Oh, very good. Yeah. Really primitive, but uh, really important, really cool game. 
So let me ask for all these that you're mentioning, have you loaded any of these up? Have you loaded some of them up? Have played There's any of them? Very few of these I've played, and none of them have I played on the hardware we're talking about. Okay, great. Now, uh, let me ask, since you're the one bringing this list up and, and interested, are, are you going to load any of these up, or are you going to try them yes. out? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Like I, After I'm done this book, which which I think maybe by the end of the week I'll be done, yeah. I'm going to go back through it and make my own list of all the stuff that I want to specifically either track down copies of or just try before I buy kind of thing. Okay. Well, if nothing else, maybe if we can, maybe we can pick one or two that we can both give a shot at or something and talk about them. I, I would love that. That'd be okay. really cool. Sounds good. All right. So Beneath Apple Manor, 1978. Who did it? Uh, Don Worth. Uh, okay. <laughs> and see, that was the way games were back then. It was just somebody in their house would make some discs and sell them wherever. Yeah, there's a lot of that in the early days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even when a company picked them up, it was typically like one to three people doing those early ones. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay, next one I actually mentioned briefly on the last show, uh, Acalabeth, World yeah, of Doom. I, yes, I have heard of Acalabeth, yes. Correct. So that one's 1979. That, that was, was Lord British's first game, right? Correct, Mr. Yes. Richard Garriott. Um, he was still in school when he programmed that, like in high school. And apparently his mom did the box art cover for the <laughs> which was like not, not really box art. I'm saying that in quotes because it was like in a Ziploc baggie as, yeah. as games of the time. Um, so it's like a precursor to the Ultima series. And in fact, the people kind of consider it Ultima Zero. Um, and so when they did an Ultima collection later on in the 90s, they actually included it in there too. That makes um, sense. Okay. Yeah. So it is a first-person dungeon crawler, uh, but when you're in the overworld, it's like a top-down view. And uh, this book claims it is the first game with wireframe first-person graphics. Huh. So, so Richard Garriott like designed that style of game in high school for the first time in history. That's interesting. I mean, it was a lot of firsts back then. So, yeah. I mean, it's not too surprising. But it's amazing what people were pulling out of their hats back then. Because um, it was just it was the Wild West, right? You just very much. Uh, if you had the cash to buy the machine and you could figure it out, I mean, that's it was anybody anything goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like he sold it to, um, was it Origin? I think Origin Systems. Uh, yeah, I think and so. And made a pretty penny on it when he was in high school, and that kind of launched his career into uh, Ultima. Yeah, because I think Ultima was published by Origin for quite a while, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, I yeah. think the whole stretch that it ran, actually, yeah. Yeah, I, re- I do remember those. Um, the only Ultima I ever played was actually, like, on the NES, but, uh, I mean, I've obviously been quite aware of the Ultima series over the years. Yeah, I, like, I'm, I've only got one more Ultima game I want to mention later on. But uh, just reading about all those games in chronological order is amazing how they have, like, one consistent narrative that runs through them all. And they did, like, every, like, two Ultima games, it's like, we're just going to, like, do the most important thing for RPGs going forward ever in this game. And then two games later... We're going to do the next most important thing that's happened in RPGs. Like, they just keep pushing the genre forward, and it was wild. Yeah, and back then, I mean, that was it. It was, you could just totally upend things because it was a small market. It wasn't big, and you could take, there was no prescriptive, this is what sells, this is what doesn't. I mean, you know, you just, people let their imagination go wild, and they did what they wanted to do. Yeah. 
Um, this I also mentioned last show, but I think it's worth mentioning again, is Calabath is free to download anytime you want uh, through good old games if you just want to play it. Um, no messing around. Like They make sure it works on your hardware. Uh, we should probably mention as well, as, I mean, I haven't checked any of these, but I know there are lots of these that you can run in browser through um, the Internet Archive. They've got a lot of classic like Apple II and C64 games and stuff you can run in browser. So I didn't know that. I will have to, yeah, cross-reference their list because that sounds awesome. Oh, you don't want to make some floppy disks? Come on, man. I also want to do that very badly. <laughs> <laughs> It's fun. It's actually kind of neat to do that. Um, I can run you through making some Apple II floppies. C64 is a little trickier unless you get a like an SD um, or something like that. But uh, Apple II is if you've got a PC, uh, you can make uh, you can make Apple II discs to your heart's content. Cool. Well, most of these are Apple II. There's only I think maybe like two that are C64, not Apple II. Okay. Well, very good. You can. Yeah. No special hardware required, um, just your time. Sweet. All right, so the last of the historical batch uh, is Wizardry, Proving Grounds of the Mad Overlord. Mm, not surprising. Yeah. Apple II and Commodore 64. And Wizardry was such an amazing hit. Like, even in Japan, that's like what drove a lot of RPG making over there because Wizardry was just crazy huge there too so much bigger over there like they have sequels we never got released anywhere else uh and like really cool remakes and packaged products that just never came out anywhere than japan that that, that game like inspired role-playing games over there like like no other game like it's crazy yeah and there were so many of those style over the years i mean I don't know why it caught the imagination. Maybe it was just the right thing at the right time, and that was what became you know, the default because it was just big, and that was sucked the oxygen out of the room. I don't know, but um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, uh, so do you have any experience with Wizardry? This one's more popular one, so I thought maybe you might have dabbled in it at some point. Um, I have not played the Wizardry game. I've seen quite a bit of Wizardry. Um, from what I've seen, it doesn't look like it appeals to me. Uh, I know you've played some Wizardry games. I have, um, but I don't know for whatever reason. Everything I've seen from Wizardry just makes me like go. Oh, this looks like maybe more work than I want in something. So one of the big selling points of Wizardry uh, was that most of the games that predate it are procedurally generated. Mm, so in, in Wizardry, it's all very specially designed dungeons. So these traps are always going to be in the same spot. These NPCs are always going to be in the same spot. You're never going to have to not know where a locked door or a key is. If you've gone through this dungeon before kind of thing. That's good. I, I yeah. as you know, I'm not a procedurally generated fan. Yes. So if you don't want to map it out at this point, there are maps online. You can just pull up a map of wizardry, whatever one you, you care That's for. That's a good point. Yeah. Make it a little easier on yourself. If you like, if I was going to play it, I would definitely do that. Yes. Yeah. And I would recommend doing that if you, you dabble in them. Um, the only ones I've played are the two that are on the NES. Uh-huh. And I, like, I'm really glad I played Proving Grounds and Mad Overlord, but it is, it's rough. Like, it was the first time they, they hadn't kind of perfected it and, uh, you know, roughed down those, those edges. Uh, but the Knight of Diamonds expansion uh, was awesome. Really cool. And, it makes and me... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. They're, they're not very long games either. They're, they're not 
you're not going to spend 80 hours going through these dungeons, especially if you want to use maps. Like you're talking like 10 to 15 hours with some maps, I think. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing. I have to even wonder if I had to guess probably the NES version was probably, um, not as rough as probably the original version either. So the so. programmer, Robert Woodhead, I think his name was, uh, he has said a bunch of times before that the NES version is his favorite version. Okay. He's like, it looks the best, plays the best. We really, you know, we had like 10 years to refine it by the point in time it came out there. So like, it's it's really cool. And they've taken their, their all their favorite changes over the years to, to make that one. But apparently there's a really good version, too, uh, for the Super Famicom, where they yeah. put out like the Wizardry 1, 2, and 3 trilogy all in one cartridge there. Yeah, yeah. And there's a fan translation of it in English. Uh, so if you want to throw it on an emulator and do the uh, Wizardry trilogy on the Super Famicom, uh, it's supposed to be like the best version of those first three games. Okay, yeah. I don't emulate, but I suppose I could always pick up a cart from Japan yeah. and patch it. So yeah. Do that, or just throw it on your EverDrive or whatever. I don't have an EverDrive. What are you talking about, man? What's that? I don't know what you got. Um, <laughs> another cool thing about it too was it was one of the earlier games that had a whole party, and you weren't just one dude. You ha- you have, a, you know, your fighter, your your mage, your thief, that kind of stuff. Yeah, because it's like uh, basically like uh, another in that series, like the, that genre is. It's kind of like a proto Might and Magic, right? Very much. Yeah, Might yeah. Magic, uh, Bard's Tale. And as uh, one other one, it's escaping right now. But yeah, all of those kind of like just take what Wizardry did and put their own little twists on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So having a whole team made combat a lot more complex than than games up to that point too, because you had multiple characters you had to keep track of. You had to make sure everyone was healed, and you had to head back to town. It was very much like go into the dungeon as far as you can at this level. And this, with the equipment you have, you know, make a little bit of money, maybe find an item and then get back to town without dying to recover and then do it again, go a little bit farther next time. Isn't that, uh, I mean, I'm not a Diablo person. Isn't that kind of the idea even through like Diablo games? hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Very much follows that uh, same kind of uh, logic. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, it is like, a, you know, very D and D bread and butter, right? Yeah. Very much. All right, so now we're going to jump into the more fun category. Okay, all right, okay. fun. So lots of these I hadn't heard of before, so I hope there I hope there's a few new to you as well. Okay. So the first one is called The Return of Heracles. I have no idea. 1983, and nope. this was on the Apple II and the Commodore 64. Okay. Yeah, it must have been early because I think Commodore 64 came out like 82, something like that, I think. Maybe 83. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it was much before that. No, it was pretty early. Okay. So this is technically an edutainment game. Oh. But this wasn't a bad word yet. You can still make fun <laughs> games. like Oregon Most of the games were. There were tons of those back in the yeah. day. So the guy that designed this, huge fan of Greek mythology. So apparently if you know your Greek mythology and your Greek geography... You can progress through this game pretty pretty well on your own too. But if you don't, it's going to teach you some stuff and, and tell you where to go. Um, but it's it's pretty open world for something in 1983. You've got a whole country and you kind of go where you want within a few restrictions. 
Uh, there is 19 different possible characters that you can control over the course of this game. Oh my, all right. Are they all like uh, Greek, uh, you know, like heroes and things? Or? Exactly. So yeah, you can go uh, find your favorite hero, and uh, you don't you don't have to play with them. You can kill them. You can talk to them. You can ignore them. So you can find you can... like Achilles and yeah, Patroclus yeah. and all these guys just hanging around. You got it. Okay. So if, like you said, if you know the mythology and you know what kind of what area of the country they might be in, you can go do that stuff like sooner. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, and there's like it, it is uh, designed like your your missions are always in the same spots, but there it sounds like there's some random elements to it too, so you can do multiple playthroughs and it's not always the same. Okay. Just to kind of keep it fresh. Um, but yeah, it sounds like a cool theme. And there, there's a bunch of variety of gameplay because of all the different kind of stuff you have to do, and it's not all combat based. And so, Journey of Heracles is that what you said? Return of Heracles. Oh, Return of Heracles. Yeah. What's he returning from? That's interesting. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> all right. All right. So next one, and this is one of the most interesting games I think I read about in, in almost this whole book. Okay. I've never heard before. It is called Alternate Reality, and it came out in 1985. Sorry, it's called Alternate Reality, The City, and it came out in 1985. Never heard of it. It doesn't sound like it did very well, which is a shame because it is fascinating. Uh, there, It was originally planned to be seven games uh, that would explore different areas of this, this world. Uh, so only two of the seven came out. There's The City and The Dungeon came out in 1987. And these are both just for the Apple II. Um, they are sci-fi themed. And the the city has this amazing intro that if you don't, if you only do one thing out of all these, it's just YouTube the intro to this game. It is like six minutes long where an alien ship comes down and starts shooting tractor beams over buildings. And then it flies into space. And the music is so impressive for an Apple II. And it's got like karaoke lyrics while it's flying into space, <laughs> shooting across the screen. So you can sing along with this game and it's really good. I would imagine the C64 version probably sounds a lot better, but go ahead. There's no C64 version. Oh! Yeah, oh. There, there's like, it got ported to the Amiga and DOS and stuff, but no C64 as far as I can tell. It is kind of so, wild, right? Because yeah. like by that time, the Apple II was pretty old, but go ahead. Um, the first game isn't really about like dungeon crawling or anything like most RPGs. It's kind of just like exploring and developing your character. And then when the dungeon expansion came out, that one's like the dungeon crawler, but you import your character that you spent this time building up in the city into that. And apparently it just like really builds on the lore and you find out why you were kidnapped by these aliens in space. And, and it just kind of keeps flushing out this world. So it's kind of a shame the other sequels didn't keep coming out to keep expanding on that because it sounds like a really cool idea. Huh. Um, it has some of the c- funniest copyright protection I think I've ever seen in a game. Uh-oh. Where if you copy the game, it appears to copy just fine. Like you you would think, like, I got a good, I got it, my free copy of Alternate Reality now. I'm going to go play it. And as you play it, your character has a disease they don't tell you about in the copy and you just keep getting weaker and weaker and die for no reason. Oh my. Yeah. And see, I guess people that if you don't know, or you went around, 
they would do like really weird disc copy protection stuff because that's it with people just copy discs like crazy so um these would all get cracked and so there's these groups of people that would basically hack the copy protection out of them they would call it crackers and so most of them like you'd ever get a copy of it and they would have like an intro from the cracking group that that did it so you, know, you always pop this disc in and it's cracked by so-and-so group or whatever and press a key and then you can go play the game or whatever but uh it's funny that these days it's like those are the only versions you can find to play are all the cracked ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, check out that intro. If that doesn't sell you on the game, I don't know if I okay. could sell you on the game because it, it was really cool and really right. impressive. And remember, 1985, an Apple II like can do this. Right, well, you'll have to um you'll have to make a list because you usually we have this stuff in a dock and you didn't put the list in the dock i, I have so a separate have to... dock so i didn't want to spoil any okay it's so fine I, no i'm saying afterwards afterwards you'll have to put it in here so i can actually see and, and go check this out so i'm curious did it use the standard apple II speaker or did it use like there was this thing called the mocking i think it's a mocking board which is like a sound card for the apple II. did it i didn't read anything about a soundboard and listening to it it sounds like it's probably just on the whatever it came with it. Like it's not. There's just a little built-in like beep speaker. Yeah, it's there. just really cool what they did with it. Like cool. It, it's yeah, interesting. Very nice. Okay, so this next one is called Auto Duel from 1985. Auto Duel. Mm-hmm. It is on both the Apple II and the Commodore 64. Okay. Um, do you know who Steve Jackson is? Yeah, Steve Jackson Games. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought Bill might know that too, because uh, he did Munchkin, uh, Shake Geek, Zombie Dice, tons of other games. Mm-hmm. So he did a game uh, in the very early 80s called Car Wars. I've heard is... of Car Wars. Okay. So it's like a tabletop game based on stuff like Death Race and Mad Max. Yeah, like it was real popular back then. Yeah. Yeah. So this game is a license of car wars even though they didn't use the name they used auto duel instead ah okay all right so unlike most role-playing games of the time it is real-time combat and you are in a vehicle so you're driving around i like, think <laughs> like the earliest version of twisted metal you could possibly do <laughs> uh, but with like a world to explore like the u.s in like a post-apocalyptic setting where you're a vehicle driving across the u.s shooting other dudes looking for gas, <laughs> looking for car parts. So there's lots of ways to like customize your vehicle so that you can continue exploring across the country. What's the RPG part of this? Well, that's it. Like you're you're building your car stats up by finding new parts and like building onto it. Okay. I was going to yeah. say it sounds more like just like an action game to me, but okay. All right. It pl- plays like an action game, but you are building your stats. Uh, okay. So yeah, I'm going to put it in the RPG category. It also has a permadeath that will delete your save file if you die. <laughs> that was that was a thing back in the day, right? Yeah, there's quite a few, and there, there's later on there's one that has kind of a interesting take on that. Okay, very yeah, that was not an uncommon thing back in the day. We're just like, just nope, it's gonna erase your disc. So yeah. people came up with very unique ways to get around that. But go go right ahead. Very good. All right, car duel, D U E L, right? Just the setting and the combat. That one seems very different than everything else, so I thought it was worth mentioning. That does sound very different. And action-oriented, so short and probably fun. Yeah. Uh, apparently it's quite challenging, especially with that permadeath. So 
yeah, don't expect to like beat it on your first try kind of idea. Right. I'm going to guess there's probably a version with a trainer where you can turn the permadeath off. But go ahead. Oh, yeah. Like a lot of these, they'll have little notes on the side in this book that's like, if you're new, like, here's some mods we recommend. Uh, like, they fix bugs or they, yeah, here's a mode you can put on to get rid of the stupid uh, permadeath or whatever, whatever you want to change about it. Most of them have little tweaks you can do. Yeah, that was another thing that was really big back in the day were trainers. <laughs> and so trainers were... A software patch that you would apply to your game that could give you like unlimited lives or you know change features of the game that was those were pretty common as well all right so this next one is commodore 64 and there's actually a sega genesis version as well it's called oh, okay. starflight i do i am aware of starflight yes have you played starflight i i have not played starflight uh, which, but I which am version aware are you of aware of the genesis one yes the genesis yeah. one because it was uh ea i think put that out right yeah one of those big thick boxes the big thick manuals yes uh-huh yeah so that one's 1986 kind of like buck and rogers is that same style like that huge manual and, and yeah so the reason i put this on the list is because i got really strong star trek and mass effect vibes while reading about this and i know you're a fan of both of those properties yes Uh so there's a big focus on exploring worlds uh diplomacy and negotiations with new races resource gathering and of course there's some ship battles but it's definitely not the focus of the game like that's just one aspect of many yeah okay yeah so it's yeah it's not just your typical i'm in a dungeon gotta blast my way through you like you're literally exploring galaxies and meeting new races and figuring out how to live with them and trade, barter, mine, those kind of things to get your new resources so you can keep pushing a little further. And uh, one of the other things that reminded me kind of a Mass Effect is there the, the story behind it, which apparently is a long burn. Like the main game can take a long time to go through because you're kind of meant to explore and wander off the beaten path a lot. Okay. Uh, but there's an ancient race of aliens that are causing stars to flare up and like destroy whole systems. Oh. So okay. you're you're trying to figure out who this old ancient alien race is, why they're making suns explode and kill everybody. Uh Reapers. while you're also exploring. Yeah, I got a very <laughs> reaper vibe from it. And honestly, we're gonna talk about it more when we talk about Mass Effect three. This this uh sounds like a more uh like a better system to wipe people out than what the reapers do. <laughs> like the reapers had way too much work to do, right? Yeah. They had to do it manually. It's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it is a procedurally generated game. So I know it's not your favorite uh, way to play a game, but it makes it so never the same game twice. If you want to explore a new galaxy after you've beaten the game. I wonder if the Genesis game was like, as was uh, procedurally generated as well. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. That was interesting. Um, so another one that is very, very bizarre uh, is called Alter Ego. Alter Ego. Why do I think I have heard of this? But go ahead. There is a newer like anime kind of game that uses the same name. This okay, is not related that, to that. Maybe that's it. Okay. Uh, so this one's 1986. Apple II and Commodore 64. Okay. Now, it's not at all like any other game on the list here in terms of role-playing. This is role-playing like pen and paper like role-playing kind of idea so it's written by a child psychologist okay in the 80s obviously and it's very text-based game like lots of text parser and uh there's like little uh checklists you kind of pick your answer out of the checklist kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and you 
pick uh there's 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 actually a box version for males or females depending on who you want to play you'd have to buy a different version really and you can pick what time of a person's life you want to start at you can start in the womb or <laughs> pick some other major life event i think there's seven different uh, areas you can pick like adolescent and like married and stuff like that okay death's door right. is that an option or <laughs> uh, i don't know how late they let you go into it but apparently this game is just like wild with scenarios like it's almost impossible to play the same game twice if you try to because any decision you make is going to branch off into seven things it's going to branch off into another seven things branch off into another seven things interesting yeah so you're like kind of reading through this person's life but you're making their life decisions to go through and it's it just sounded really fascinating really different um, there are stats and stuff involved, which is why they classify it as an RPG. Okay. But it says to specifically says in here, like, don't focus on the stats, like just focus on the decisions you're making and what kind of person you want to be. If you want, like, they're like, you can end up, you know, kind of have that uh, Bioshock ending where all your daughters are holding your hand, or you can like get murdered in an alley when you're a teenager because you <laughs> made some poor decisions. Like there, there's a pretty huge range of how that game can go for you. So it sounds like it's really more of just like a fancy choose your own adventure book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Nothing um, wrong with that. Yeah, no, definitely. Just another one that sounded super weird and different than everything else that was out at the time. Okay. Uh, the one, it does have a little note. It's like, keep in mind, this was made in the 80s with like strong conservative values. So <laughs> you're not going to be able to always make the decisions you want to make. And same thing, like I said, the times so you got male or female, but they said both of them are kind of sexist and there's no like non-binary options and, and things like that. So if you're a boy and, and the choice comes up like, oh, Tom looks over at you. And if you choose to like wave hi to Tom, like suddenly, you know, lightning bolts come out of the sky and fry <laughs> you or something. Is that? <laughs> I, I don't know how extreme they get with them, but yeah, I think it might <laughs> lean in that direction a little bit. You burn in hell forever. <laughs> Um, all right, next one. This one, again, very cool, very different. It's called Death Lord. Death Lord. Death Lord. That's, that's, a, great, that's a great title. That is a great title. It grabs your name, or it grabs your attention. Uh, 1987, this is on both Apple II and Commodore. Uh, it is all ancient Japanese themed. Mm, so okay. the graphics are really cool because you have that like pixel art, like samurais and stuff. It looks pretty awesome. Uh, this is a game that I know didn't like influence Dark Souls, but like you get a few little pieces of that puzzle in here, definitely. Okay. Um, so it's a huge ex- area to explore, kind of open. You can go wherever you want. Um, it's got eight different races with sixteen different classes you can choose. Well, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a ton for that time. So there's a lot of uh, different ways you can go through this game, too. You don't have to play it one specific way. Uh, It sounds like there's a lot of tough decisions you need to make while playing this game. So if if there's a place you want to go into, like, that's a person's home. Like, yeah, you can go in there, but there's going to be a consequence for going in there. You can't just go in and raid the place like a lot of RPGs. You can't just go in throw pots around inside somebody's house or whatever. Yeah, then you might have the guards of that city coming to arrest you and you won't be welcome in that city going forward without some heavy combat. Involved. It's kind of like an Elder Scrolls kind of thing going on yeah. there. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's there's a bunch of uh, dungeons that are all that have different kind of themes to them. 
Mm -hmm. to kind of keep uh, different settings. So it's not just all straight uh, ancient Japanese. Apparently they they get a little weird with some of the the dungeon designs. (laughs) Okay. And there's a permadeath in that game as well. So very tough. Yeah, I don't know why everybody had such a thing for that back in the day. Like, I guess it's probably because the games were so limited that the only way they could give you great replayability was just to force you to do it over and over and over. Because if not, you would just save, you state your way through it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And it kind of makes sense for some of the roguelike stuff because they have a different uh, goal than trying to get to the end of something. Right. But yeah, for a game like this, it does seem kind of out of place. Not knowing the other games of the time. They were very brutal. <laughs> the games were, they yeah. were very brutal back then. Yeah. They were written by, like, hardcore people for hardcore people. Yeah, you're trying to top your friends all the time. Like, you're not trying to bake a game for the masses. You're trying to tick off your buddy. Right. Like, somebody these days that had no exposure to things, I don't know. They would, like, who a lot on earth, you know? But um, it was such a smaller market back. I mean, and, and the people that had home computers were people that are really into computers. So there was a reason for it. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to take a short break from the fun category and jump oh. into the fun and historical category. That's That sounds like the best category. Okay. It is. But we'll come back to just fun. Okay. Uh, so you said you had a little bit of experience with Ultima. Uh, yes. What is your experience with Ultima? Um, the NES... Ultima, which is there's well, three of them on there. So the, okay, the the first, uh, all, what was it? Ultima Exodus. Yes. Okay. Okay. So I wasn't going to talk about Exodus. I wanted to bring up Ultima Four: Quest, Quest of the, of the Avatar, Avatar, which is the yes. sequel to Exodus. Uh-huh. Exodus is a very important game. It's almost like the second starting of Ultima, where they kind of you know they messed around for a couple games before they figured out what they wanted to be and then like the real ultima kind of starts at exodus onwards oh yeah okay very important game but quest of the avatar i want to talk about specifically uh which was on both the apple II and the commodore 64 and like we just mentioned there's also an nes version and there's even a master system version and and a few others yeah you sent me a copy of the master system version years ago yeah oh yeah forgot about that um so I think this one, like when I played this for my NES games when I was going through it, like mm-hmm. it's still very unique. I remember I you think... talking a lot about it, but yeah, yeah go like, right ahead. I've never seen a game with a, a premise or a goal like I have in Ultima 4, like still, which is weird because it's really cool and really fun and interesting. I, I can't believe someone hasn't copied it yet. And the idea, though, is to become like the paragon of virtue, right? Yeah, so instead of trying to defeat a great evil or stop some kind of disaster, uh, you are trying to master these eight virtues and like kind of show humanity that a regular person can be like just this pinnacle of honesty and compassion and honor. And uh, that is the goal of the game is to like max out these hidden stats and these eight different uh, things like I just mentioned um, by just living in this world so it's, it's very open world design um, 1985 and you can kind of go anywhere you want uh, there is combat but you really don't need to do very much of it at all you can leave most uh, most battles because you don't need to like grind a level up to like beat a final boss you just have to master these virtues and then go read a, a 
hidden tome that's like hidden at the bottom of this dungeon. Um, so like they'll, they'll give you all these like moral situations to be in while you're playing. Like there, there's a shopkeeper and he's blind. You can literally give him any amount you want for the thing you're buying. If you rip him off, you're probably not going to get the honesty and compassion <laughs> uh, stats that you want. So you're kind of by the honor system and same thing. Like we're talking about going into people's houses and breaking their pots. Like that's going to get you some minus to your honor and your humility. So you don't want to be engaging in those kind of activities. But how do they balance that out? Because that you have to, I would imagine in the gameplay, pay a price for being honest. Right. So is there, what's, what's the thing that makes you like, man, but if I, if I stay honest, it gets harder because of X. No, like it, it doesn't, try and push you that way like you like you would think it would okay just, you can just be good for good sake and there's no real consequence or challenge to to, to doing it the other way okay all right so there's yeah. not somebody like man you know your kid's gonna die if i don't get five thousand dollars and you're like okay do i steal the money or do i be nice no no you just you just and it won't directly tell you it either it's just like you can't beat the game now because of those crappy decisions you made you can you can keep living in this world, but you'll never accomplish the the final end goal. Interesting. That's a a very unique idea. Uh, I can see why they don't make a game out of that now because uh, you know I don't. Where see where, why where are all the guns and shooting people in the head part? But yeah, it doesn't have to be a big triple A thing. Like you know, some indie games should be picking up on some cool concepts like that. I think. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I, I hear where you come from. Yeah. Very good. So that was Ultima 4. Um, I know you've heard of this next game. It's called Wasteland. I have because I've actually um, downloaded uh, from Game Pass Wasteland 3, and there's also Wasteland Remastered that I'm interested in taking a look at. But uh, Wasteland 3 looked pretty cool, so I'm going to play that here at some point. So I don't know much about that remaster. I'll have to look into that to see uh, how different it is because the original sounds phenomenal. Uh, so this one's 1988, both mm-hmm. the Apple II and the Commodore. Um, and I, I think people know it now as like the game that inspired Fallout, uh, which got infinitely more popular over the last decade than Wasteland ever was. But it's like a huge open world again, um, post-apocalyptic setting, which wasn't very common at the time. Uh, but the the cool thing about this game or the coolest thing is you you have so many different ways to tackle any situation um so one of the examples they give in here is like there's a locked gate you want to get past this gate so what 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 can you do you can use your strength if you've got it kick the gate open if you've got lock picking skills you can pick that lock you got a rocket launcher on you just blow the gate up you have some dexterity why don't you climb over the gate do you want to find a human being around who can give you a hand with that like there's like a whole bunch of ways you can deal with that situation depending on your character's stats abilities who you've met who you haven't met and it sounds like every situation is like that and it puts you in a lot of moral situations where there's not really a good and bad like nothing's really clear cut. Like there's a lot of gray area in all the decisions you're making. That's good because, you know, life is not always blue meter, red meter. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is a shame that like this is in the late eighties 
when we've got this moral gray area and kind of nowadays we've been reduced to that like good or bad paragon renegade kind of thing let me tell you though having played andromeda i think you'll be hoping you'll be hearkening back to a better time with blues and reds (laughs) um just because you can make things more ambiguous doesn't mean it makes it good oh yeah you like you've got a the writing has to back up that kind of system yeah (laughs) but yeah no i'm uh this interests me because like i said i had wasteland remastered on my radar so i mean i'd be inclined to take a look at that um sweet uh, so and maybe if you're interested in doing that too, we could play some Wasteland. Any one of these I am interested in. So yeah, well, if Wasteland appeals to you, then Wasteland jumps up my list for sure. All right, well, why don't we put a Wasteland remastered in the queue somewhere? Yeah. I, maybe and, after we get past uh, Andromeda and all this. I'm, I'm curious if Bill would, would join us on this one because he likes post-apocalyptic sci-fi. He likes computer games. This one's not as ancient and hard to uh, navigate as some of those old things, so... Yeah, and the I game's on Game Pass, so nice. I don't think he has to pay for it. Very cool. Okay, we're going to go back to the fun list. Uh, okay. This is 1988, and it's called Neuromancer. Oh, yes, I, I am familiar with Neuromancer. Yep. Cool. So I'm this is pretty sure I played Neuromancer. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, as a kid? Yeah, well, I mean, I wasn't quite a kid in 1988, <laughs> but sure I was. So... Tell me what you remember about Neuromancer. I don't remember a whole lot other than the title and playing on C64, so you'll probably have to refresh me. Uh, it's been a few years <laughs> since 1988, so. and I probably played a cracked version after that. But So this is a pretty early cyberpunk game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, based on a uh, book of the same title, Yep, but yeah. kind of loosely based on it, apparently. They, they kind of deviate and do their own thing. So I think I can remember thing, the cover of the cover is really cool. It's like yeah. uh, kind of the blue pixel art face with like, uh, uh-huh. like cybernetic implants in his eyes kind of thing. So, you know, he looks a little different. Yep. 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 So the story is what jumped out to me as something cool uh, because a lot of these are like fantasy games and, and I tend to, I like fantasy like anybody, but I, like sci-fi and cyberpunk kind of get me a little bit more excited. So yes, you were we, very excited about Cyberpunk. <laughs> I was, and I, I really enjoyed it. I know it gets a lot of crap, but I had fun with it. Uh, so there's rogue AIs that are killing people as they plug into the Matrix. And dun, dun, dun. you have to stop these rogue AIs. But it sounds like there's a really cool twist involved with, uh, with that mission. Uh, and beyond that, uh, instead of your typical RPG stats, uh, you have the ability to upgrade your body through cybernetic enhancements. Yeah, but you also have to be careful with that because sometimes it can cost you in different areas. So if you get a boost in one stat, uh, but you've lost like a, something you need to filter uh, bio uh, attacks out of your body, like if you get hit with a bio attack and you've got the wrong kind of liver, you're going to take a bigger hit from that than you would if you just kept your your typical human liver yeah i'm trying to remember what the interface for that looked like because like i i don't remember playing tons of it but i do remember the game so yeah so you've got like a two-thirds of the screen of the top it's like your play field and uh-huh. your bottom third is like some stats on the left and like some dialogue on the right it looks like okay yeah all right it's been a long time I, um, I was yeah, kind of into that stuff at that time too, because that was very new. Yeah, um, 
the idea of um, cyber that cyberpunk aesthetic, which is what we call it now. I don't really even know what we called it then. It was just very new. The idea, yeah, because like what Blade Runner was enhanced one, and that was kind of like visually where we started to figure out what cyberpunk looks like. Yeah, because it was like all that Philip K. Dick and all that yeah. kind of started a lot of that genre. But um, it was kind of big. There was a lot of stuff that was like that, that was in the zeitgeist and like movies and everything back in the yeah, 80s. That would have been that. right around when Akira came out, I think, when this came out. Yeah, and obviously there was like Terminator, and I mean, obviously it's not Cyborgs, but I mean, you know. There was the movie Cyborg. I remember <laughs> that. Uh, with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh <laughs> Probably not probably right around that time as well. All right. Uh, next one is called Windwalker from 1989. No, never heard of this one. Yeah, this sounds like a late one and didn't do too well. So I didn't expect you to know this one. But this is the one that has the cool permadeath uh, mechanic. There's no cool permadeath mechanic. But go ahead. Sell me. Okay. I, I want to see if I can change your opinion on that. Um, and just to mention, it's also on both systems, Apple II and Commodore. Okay. So it's ancient Chinese setting this time. Combat is one-on-one fighting. Uh, they compare it to Karateka. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's got like a rock, paper, scissors system to move. So you can like kind of counter your opponent's moves if you figure out what they're doing. And once you're done a fight, because they're, they're like slow turn-based fights so that you can have a chance to think. But once you're done your fight, you can play it back as like a video so you can see it in a fluid fight. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's kind neat. Of, yeah, cool little extra feature to uh, make this like martial arts game like feel like a martial arts uh, video. Um, okay, so the interesting take on permadeath is uh, when you get defeated by a guard, you, they don't kill you. They, they put you in prison, so you have a chance to escape from this prison. When a non-guard defeats you in combat... They kill you, and then the game loads up an autosave, but you have 10 autosaves before it permadeaths your actual file. So you don't die instantly from one death. It takes 10 non-guards to kill you before you get a full game over and you have to restart. Huh. So what happens if a guard, they put you in jail, but like, does that mean that save is gone because now that guy's stuck in jail, or what's the deal? Nope. Like you, you can you can break out of jail, so that's oh, okay. just like a, a setback. Like think of it as going like back to a checkpoint kind of thing. Ah, okay, okay, very good. All right. Yeah. So I thought that was cool because it's like still permadeath, and there's still that pressure, but there's some lenience to it. Um, but it still has that like tension that a permadeath has. Uh huh. So I thought that was the coolest implementation of that that I'd seen. That is, it's an interesting idea. I, uh, again, I'm not thrilled with the, I have to lose everything I've put into this for hours and hours, but you know, it's a better idea. Yeah. Okay, the last game that is for the Apple II GS. Oh, I, 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 do, I do not have a GS. Okay, do you, can you tell me a little bit about it though? I, I just did a quick Wikipedia search on this. Yeah, so... Um, the Apple II series of computers started, I think, in like 1977, I think, is when the Apple II started. And it was very popular. Uh, it was probably like the first really like non-kit mainstream home computer to come out, and it was wildly popular. It wasn't cheap, but extremely popular. And um, it saw several revisions over the years. Um, there was the Apple II was the original, and there was the Apple II Plus, where I think they added some RAM 
by default. Um, and then there was the Apple IIe, which is kind of the education version. It was just like a little souped up version, if you will, of the Apple II. Uh, and then there was the Apple IIc, which was the basically the portable version of the Apple IIe. And, uh, and then eventually the Apple II GS. So what happened was, um, uh, we've probably all heard the story of Jobs and Wozniak <laughs> and what happened. Well, you know, uh, Jobs, uh, started this project called Macintosh where he thought, okay, this is the future, right? Um, and he wanted to totally abandon the Apple II product line. And this was the new thing, right? Uh, that's going to take over the world. And, Wozniak and a lot of the other people at Apple said, no, we've got this huge market. Why would we throw this away? We should just keep building on the Apple II line. And so um, obviously Macintosh did come out. And, uh, you know, was it a success? I mean, to a degree, yeah, it was. Um, eventually, uh, it had some rocky times financially. And, uh, and then to keep the other side going for a while, because Macintosh was financially you know it was a struggle to get things going for a little bit um they came out with the two, apple 2 gs um which i i don't remember if gs is like graphic systems or something i don't remember what it's supposed to stand for but basically it's that an, actually would make sense just judging by like it does look like a big graphical leap it is from everything else i've seen here it is an it's basically an apple 2 on steroids with much uh better uh graphical subsystem and sound so think of it um I mean, it's not like on an Amiga level or anything, but I mean, it's like moving towards like that next evolution of the Apple II where it's still completely backwards compatible with everything. But now there's GS software that runs on it and it has a desktop OS uh, that you can run on it. So, you know, it's very similar to Mac OS, um, but it was kind of a separate fork project and it was the end of the line for the Apple II. Which was weird because all this came out because the Apple III actually came out before that, but Apple III just died, didn't really go anywhere. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the idea of the Apple II lifespan. Awesome, I appreciate that. Uh, definitely puts it in context because a few of those I didn't know hardly anything about. Yeah, I mean it was it was just think about this. So we're talking about games that came out like what eighty nine or something, and like the Apple II came out like eighty seven. Yeah. I mean seventy seven. So I mean you know. It was a really old computer by that point in time. But they were just everywhere. I mean, even into the 90s, tons of schools yeah. still had Apple IIs. We had them in our schools for quite a while. Yeah, just because they had made such a huge impact into that market. And Macintosh just never, it never got there. I mean, it had its niche, you know, markets where it did really well. Um, desktop publishing and some of those things. But... It was just never the monster that um, the Apple II was. So, sorry, go ahead. No, I appreciate that. Uh, so this game came out in 1990. This is the the newest game out of all of these. It is called The Spirit of Excalibur. Okay. Uh, Apple II GS, like I said, and yeah, looks fantastic. Like head and shoulders above anything else that I've mentioned so far. Oh yeah, definitely would be. Um, and it, like, there's nothing like, there's no real huge selling point. It just kind of looks to me and sounds like the culmination of every 
<laughs> high fantasy role playing game that's come out to this point. They just like took all the best ideas and made this game out of them. Um, so it's like a huge world, tons of different quests. Um, apparently, the, there's not an overwhelming amount of combat like a lot of these games that make you grind. Like there's smaller amounts of it, but it's more meaningful. Mm hmm. Um, and it's also sounds like there's some really cool decision making and like, it's all like the Arthurian, uh, kind of lore. So all of those, uh, knights, uh, you've got to recruit them and keep them together and keep them alive if hmm. you want to get the best ending of the game. So if you lose somebody, you probably want to reload that last save and, and see if you can figure out a way to get them through whatever encounter you're, you lost them at. So are these like literally the Arthurian, like Galahad and all that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's like post Arthurian, so I think Arthur has just died from the sounds of it, and you're you're playing the remnants of his uh, round table. Interesting. Okay. All right. And uh, so, uh, is it like real time combat or uh, no uh, turn based combat? But it okay. looks like there's also some strategy kind of sections to it as well, where you've got to like manage some troops in certain areas. Okay. Yeah, because I was going to say, that time was when, like, a lot of those war strategy things were getting pretty big in the computer space. So that was kind of what I was curious about, is any of that had crept into it. Because, um, man, that was those, those were huge back at yeah. that point in time. But a few years before that, there were some other games that were pretty big, like uh, Defenders of the Crown, wasn't that? Yeah, uh, that's an interesting game. Yeah. I, that well, really that game... RPG, but... Well, I, I would... I could make the argument for it. Yeah, it's got some RPG stuff, and it's got a, like a bunch of genres in it. That game. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a nice little mix of things. Uh, they use that as a really cool example at the start of this book when they're talking about uh, games being ported to different platforms, uh -huh. and they show like twelve different versions of the same <laughs> screenshot from Defenders of the Crown, and they all look very different. It's really interesting. Yeah, a lot of those games really did take on so many different lives because there was and. You know, it's obviously people these days wouldn't get it. I mean, there was no computer standard. I mean, I guess probably at the time, Apple II was probably as close to a standard as anything. Um, I guess just that's just it was more here places. though, too, right? Like in yeah, obviously in like Europe, in Europe, have, that like, was what, totally. Amiga? Well, I mean, Amiga wasn't Spectrum. even around. That would have been Commodore or um, like the UK. It would be the Spectrum was big um in japan um uh, oh, yeah. this they, would have been msx time yeah msx and pc88 and stuff like that yeah and um so this book is very western centric there is a few moments where they dabble in some other countries uh there's there's a bunch of like russia and poland in here a couple Chinese and a couple Japanese, but it's like 95% like stuff you could buy in North America. I would imagine because it was kind of the genesis of all of that. It's um, the starting point of that whole industry. I mean, obviously it grew pretty well and the place is pretty quick, but... Um, yeah, I know the, the main author of this book regrets that. He's, he's spent the last few years looking into uh, RPGs from other territories. And I, he's actually Brazilian himself. Oh. Uh, and he, like, especially in China and Korea, he's like, man, we're like, we miss so many games that are so big and so important. And so I, I get the hunch he's going to compile another book that might uh, hit some of the other parts of the world that got ignored in this book. 
I think that's probably good for at least for Western audiences. I mean, I'm sure obviously they already have probably their own stuff and are aware of it. But um, I think it's would be good for us to get some more exposure to things that were going on in other places because obviously everything we read is very U.S. and North American centric. I mean, even you're there in Canada, right? And everything is still going to be very skewed to the United States. Oh, big time. Yeah. Right. I'm sure you guys had your own software houses back in the day, and there were probably titles that were... I don't even know about that. Yeah, like, we we have, like, broadcasting standards now that's, like, X amount of your shows have to be Canadian produced because we were getting overwhelmed with just you guys. (laughs) Sure, because, you know, the only thing we're good at producing anymore seems to be, like, fluff and television and stuff i mean we don't make <laughs> we don't make stuff anymore we just uh you know content well, that's it we do produce a lot of content let me tell you i was uh this is a total sidetrack but i was at uh the park with my daughter today and there was a girl that was dressed as jojo siwa <laughs> and uh at first i thought like oh well then like you know how sometimes people do that for like a party right like they'll invite like some a dress up person like a disney princess or somebody right mm-hmm. for the kids uh, that's why i thought it was I'm like oh okay so she's here and like there's a kid's party and this is just a fun thing N- no nope she was just going around on her phone like just you know doing her thing uh, i think just as like trying to do internet things <laughs> So I just learned who Jojo was about two weeks ago from my daughter. She oh. loves Jojo of course. all of a sudden. Of course. So uh, we've listened to a bunch of her songs over the last uh, couple weeks. And it's not not too bad. I'm, I'm okay with my daughter listening to that. It's fine for bubblegum pop. It's fine. Yeah. You know, I so it was just really, you know, yeah, we're, we're America. We're <laughs> people are very vain and very into their own stuff and doing things. And, but, uh, you know, yeah, I, it, I, it would be interesting. I know I've read a bit about like some of the stuff from the British scene, obviously, though, I don't have any hands on experience with, you know, like the spectrum or anything. Um, and some of it sounds interesting and some of it sounds like, you know, I'm, at an age, I don't know if I have time and the energy to, you know, del- dive into one more rabbit hole. But um, no, I mean it's it's cool. And like you said, like how much wizardry took off in Japan for whatever yeah. reason, right? Huge. Yeah. So I'm curious then, because I'm sorry, I should. Were there? Was that the last title? That was the last of the Apple and Commodore stuff. There's one more series I just wanted to mention. Yes, that's go much it. more modern. Okay. Um, so do you have any experience with the series called Gothic? I have no experience with that. Um, so the first one was PC only, and then the sequels were, they did come out on consoles as well as PC. Okay. So I thought that's maybe where you might have at least heard of them. Where, what would be the console titles? Uh, Gothic 2, Gothic 3. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> and as the name implies. No, I have not heard of these. Oh, yeah. So they're like... Medieval fantasy setting. Okay. Um, the first one in particular sounded very Chris. Um, so it takes place in a penal colony and you are a prisoner. So it's like, kind of like Escape from New York kind of setting, but <laughs> okay. in medieval, where you're <laughs> you're in this big prison that some wizards have like cast a spell to make this dome over. So you can't get out of this dome, but you can go anywhere freely within this dome. Do you surf at any point in time? And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. There, there's no spoilers in here. Is, so maybe. is Steve Buscemi in? 
I hope so. I basketball fight. It's got to be some cool stuff in there. Um, but yeah, so your motivation, the whole point of the game is just to get out of the colony to figure out a way out of it. But the combat sounds very Dark Souls, like proto Dark Souls, where there's not a lot of it, but every time you come up against something you need to fight, it's like scary and tense and intentional. And you have to be very careful because one single person is always lethal if you're not on your toes. You're going to get crushed. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the world design also kind of sounds like really proto Dark Souls where you can kind of go wherever you want. But, you know, some places you might just not have the skills to go yet. But if you do have the, the, the dexterity like you, the player, you can go there whenever you want. I always and like you- that in games where they gate it that way because it gives me an incentive. Like, if I really want to try to go this way, I can do it. Right? Yeah. Like, it's going to hurt a lot. But I like the freedom in games i hate that just like no you don't have the magic what's a doodle to open the door yet so you can't go in here you're like come on really but yeah go ahead yeah no like it's very much that so what philosophy what consoles did this come out for uh the first one was just pc and then i think it was i know for sure it's on the ps3 i think there might be 360 versions of two and three as well interesting i do not remember hearing anything about it so yeah so like it even though you're in this colony and that, that doesn't sound huge, apparently it's quite vertical as well. So you can like go in buildings and up the buildings kind of thing, as well as explore uh, left to right, east to west kind of thing. Um, and all the games are connected story-wise. So once you get out of the uh, imprisonment in the first game, the second game you know opens the same from all, all everything I've read. And I, and I looked up some like actual reviews for this as well. Gothic 2 just sounds like everything they did right in the first one, they just did bigger and better in the second one. It's like a really great sequel. People people really like that one. And then 3, it kind of fell apart at the end, apparently. But uh, yeah, just a lot of those things were like checking off the little boxes I know about things that you enjoy in games, like how the combat works, how the world building and exploration works. And apparently there's lots of little secrets and hidden things that reward you for exploring and taking chances and stuff. Hmm. I wonder what, how, why did I never hear of this thing? I wonder. I've never, like, never heard of this. I, the cover for two, like, just looks generic. Like, I never thought to, like, check out a trailer even for it. It's just like, oh, this looks like, you know, f- plain old fantasy RPG. But, okay. yeah, reading about it and seeing some screenshots and stuff uh, definitely piqued my interest a little more. Okay. All right. Well, I'll have to take a look. I wonder, uh, I'll be curious to see if they're, like, on Game Pass or something. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. So, so that is the the fifteen games that I wanted to bring to your attention. Okay, well, I will be interested to see if there is a list uh, that you can give me, so that way I can like at least check out and and see like they're how available they are. If we can maybe agree on, well, I don't know. It sounds like this Wasteland remastered, but yeah. it's a, an updated version that's a little easier to play. We could do something like that. But if we wanted to tackle an older one, I guess I could make some discs and. Uh, I guess I'd leave it up to whatever it sounds more interesting to you, but I guess we have to probably get through our uh, Andromeda first. But yeah, definitely, I'm up for trying out some old stuff. Uh, doesn't scare me, and I could teach you how to make some Apple II discs. <laughs> if you're interested? Cool. I'm very interested. So, have you read all the way through this book? Then is that the end? I'm at like 2009, so I've got about another 
Just let me open it up here. I have another 100 pages to go. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you are pretty close to the end then. Yeah. And how far, what year does this this book end? I think 2018. I'm just going to look at the con- uh, table content and see what the last game is. Uh, Pillars of Eternity. Okay. That came out in... 2015 is as far as it goes for that. I have to wonder if... Are you sure Gothic came out on Xbox? Because, like, it doesn't show on the store anywhere to buy it. I'm not... Like I said, I'm not 100% sure to Xbox. I know it had a PS3 version. Okay. Well, maybe I'd have to dig around and see. Look for that one then. Maybe it didn't hit Xbox or something. Well, then... And you said you also bought a JRPG book. Have you read that one as well? Or is that, like, this one's the first one you're reading through? I lent the uh, JRPG book to my friend that I play JRPGs with. Um, he's probably going to read this one as well. I just asked him which one he wanted to do first. Took that one. So I started this one, and then we'll swap when he's done and go the other way. How much do you think you'll actually learn about JRPGs? Or do you think you'll be like, yeah, I kind of know all this already? Oh, no. Like, I'm expecting to learn a ton. It's like it's a bigger book. It's and it goes into like the early uh, like PC JRPGs, like before they hit consoles too. Oh, okay. So, so I I know very little about that era. So I think that'll all be new. I don't think it's all stuff that got localized either. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of import stuff that I'm completely unaware of. All right. And yeah, just like there's so many games you can't keep track of everything. So I'm just curious to see what fell through the cracks for me too. Now, and I'm curious too, like, is, are you reading through these just as a, like, I'm curious, I want to get some general knowledge, or is it, I really want to learn, like, and I actually want to go through and play some of these things? Both. Okay. Yeah. Very it's... much both. That, like, I feel like, I, I didn't mention it earlier, but when I beat the mutant virus, uh, there's only 20 NES games I have left to beat. And... That feels very freeing. I'm like, <laughs> I'll have so much time to try other things soon. So I'm like making lists. I'm like, oh, I want to try, you know, Wasteland and alternate reality. And so when I pull open that book, I'm expecting to find a ton of stuff that I've never heard of or that I forgot about that I'm like, yep, I need to put this on my playlist now. Yeah, because that's what I was just going to, I was going to ask about that specifically because I know they're, you're getting down to the last few. And I imagine A, it will be a a freeing and a sigh of relief but b do you think like oh well i mean i'm gonna kind of miss that time with that system yeah like i'm I still be able to to dabble but just for fun not uh like especially with some of the games lately like bill bill elliott and <laughs> virus and miracle piano like they're more of a chore than like a, a joy so I'm i'm kind of excited to just like finish that and then just play a few things just for the pure fun of it without having any other motivation. Uh, cause, like I've had a copy. I think one of the first games I'm going to play when I'm done is Snatcher because I've had a copy sitting there forever. And I really just want to sit down and see if I like Snatcher. Okay. And, and there's, you know, the 10 other games that fall into that category I want to do the same thing with. I would imagine so because you've spent so much time dedicated to this one thing. Um and I was kind of curious to see if you'll get another itch to be like, oh, I'm the guy that's beaten every in you know the NES game and the un- and like the unlicensed ones too or whatever, right? I I also have those things too. Like I I think I've already got a full North American Turbo Graphics 16, so I'm like, 
those would be fun to play through all of them and and they're going to be a lot shorter and there's a lot less of them so but before i jump into another project like that yeah i just just want to have some fun with it don't blame you one bit um that's interesting that you mentioned turbo because um i don't know if you've ever seen the youtube channel turbo views no Um, i don't know that one this guy's been doing this for years but he was a big turbo fan like even back like he had a turbo graphics back in the day he played like tons of these as a kid and so he started a video series to review every turbo graphics 16 uh, game in the u.s because uh, same thing, like have them all, play them all, and like a lot of them, because he even had them back in the day. Because he was one of those, you know, people that had the turbo when everybody else had everything else, and etc. And he just like put out his last review, like uh, I don't know, like a week ago of the very last Turbo CD game that they came out in the oh, U.S. Yeah. It's like that's it, I'm done. And you know, he's gonna do some other stuff too. Obviously, he's not finished, finished, but like this this series turbo views is that's it it's the final episode there's so. a guy doing that and his name escapes me for the atari 2600 and he's doing them in game release order too wow okay i would and he's deep into it like it's, it's really cool i would recommend turbo views if you want like quick they're not long they're like 10 minute review videos of every game um i'm talking speaking to our listeners now yeah um, i know that sounds good for me too they're well put together uh, he gives a rating at the end of each one of them. They're well made. Uh, they're fun, and they're just solid review videos. So uh, if you're interested, he he does a couple imports as well, you know. But obviously the focus was to get the entire U.S. library reviewed and beaten and played through and everything. So, uh, so he's yeah. beaten all of them too? I do believe so because, I mean, he's got footage of everything, and he'll talk about, like, the ending or stuff in them. I mean, I don't know if he... 100% all of them, but in his reviews, he'll kind of talk about the whole game. That's uh, awesome. So, Very, yeah. Even more impressive than it originally sounded. That's awesome. Yeah, because when he talked to him, he'll talk about like, oh, you know, it's, uh, as a kid, you know, playing this one or the ones he hadn't run into. But he does it, again, it's not rambly. It's a very digestible, here's, this is a review. And so, again, short, sweet, to the point, well put together. So it's what you would expect in a review. But yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see where you go from this. Uh, but, you know, 20 left to go. How it goes, you know, since we're talking about how goes the miracle <laughs> piano oh, playing? Um, I beat less than 24 today, so 12 more to go. 12 and more lessons. how laborious are they now? Um, 24 wasn't as bad as 23. 23 is the one I got stuck on for like a week. Um, 24 took me like two, like I did an hour one day and an hour the next day. That's through it. So if they're like that, that's awesome. I'm happy, but I still haven't got to the lesson that introduces the foot pedal yet. And it's a really flimsy, cheap foot pedal. (laughs) It's like just a sponge basically. Yeah. I'm curious if that's going to function like it's supposed to. I doubt it, but I mean, if you look at what it is, it's just a switch. I mean, it's just like a little two-prong thing it plugs into, so you could just even wire your own switch into it, <laughs> and it would work perfectly fine. Gotcha. So if it doesn't work, just wire something up. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Out of the 20 that I have left, Miracle Piano, Championship Pool are the only two that give me any worry now that the Bill Elliott mutant virus are done. So I don't think there's any other that are going to be a challenge in, in the same way these two are. Uh, 
one of them is going to be a financial challenge. So I got to figure out how to get stack up parts <laughs> for Rob. Uh, so I might, you've sent me links to like Japanese parts and that, that might be the route that I go. Oh yeah. That's the only affordable way to do it unless you get 3d printed parts. But I would say even yeah. 3d printed parts would probably cost as much as just buying the Japanese set. Yeah. Cause so, the Japanese sets only like, what, like a hundred bucks. I mean, it's not bad. Yeah, hundred bucks. It's not and, too bad. And, and, and sending parts out to get printed would probably bet probably cost you about that much. I, so. I have a couple friends with three D printers, so I could inquire with them and see uh, what they can do. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to document though, because obviously, are you going to like video Rob? Because there's no real. Yeah. I mean, I guess the gameplay on the screen just kind of mirrors what Rob is doing. But yeah, no, I'm not worried about videoing Rob. Like same thing, like the Miracle Piano that I'm recording. You don't get any of the music because it all comes out of the piano speakers. Like you're just gonna hear tick 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 of the metronome. Yeah, that's the video is gonna be so incredibly boring. So, um, I'm assuming then you did gyromite at some point in time. I have all the gyromite parts here. Our one of our Patreons, uh, engineer Mike, uh, lives local to me, and he had everything for gyromite, so he lent that to me. Have you beaten so. gyromite yet? No, I went to play it, and he forgot to give me the claws that pick up yes. the actual gyromites. He gave me everything else. So I messaged him back. He's like, yeah, I got them. They're on my Rob. I just forgot to take them off. So I, he sent that to me. I've got everything now. So I just got to buy some big old D batteries to throw in Rob and uh, or C. What does he take, C? I think he takes C's, and you have to yeah. put one in the spinner, too. Yeah, so I got to do, got to load him up with batteries, and then uh, I should be good to go. And that should yeah. be like an afternoon. I don't think that one's going to take long. I think you may be surprised, my friend. <laughs> I like I like being surprised by NES games. It's a good feeling. Uh, the challenge is spinning the the things, and then getting Rob to pick them up before they fall, and putting them back in the spinner to spin them back up, so you'll have them again later when you need them. And no, the challenge is managing Rob. So, oh, yeah. good. Uh, I I will be curious to, to hear how that goes because some of those levels. Even if you have a friend on the other D-pad, get can get challenging later on. So, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I sh- I'm hopefully I'll be able to talk about that one next recording. Okay, but very good. That's, uh, once I'm done Gauntlet, I'll probably throw that in so I can give uh, give Mike his uh, parts back. Very good. Yeah, geez, I remember because my you know way back when that's my cousin had gyromite. He had the deluxe set, and we'd play a lot of gyromite. Um, and the only way we got through it was he, one of us would be Rob on the controls because <laughs> they're, man, they're tough. I will tell you. Good. You'll Good. Be... I like, I really had low expectations for that, but I, like I said, I would love to be surprised. Um, yeah, unless we were really bad at it, which I'm not going to say, but, uh, I making Rob do what you need him to do fast enough to do what you need him to do and making the, him go up and not actually knocking off one of the spinners while it's going and everything else because you didn't have the arms up and yeah it's a that's yeah have fun with I'll, that i'll have to adjust my setup too i gotta figure out how i can place rob uh at a good level that he can see the tv because right now where i'm set up he's there's nowhere to put him yeah, you do that, and like he likes certain brightness settings on your TV. And... Uh, I didn't think of that because I don't have a remote for this TV, and I can't do anything in the menu without it. 
you might want you if it doesn't work you might want to pick up a universal remote um, I, i've got another tv i can use that i can you got the one i you i gave you I, i've got multiple options it's just the one i usually play on won't work if if i have to do that okay yeah you may need something where you can adjust brightness because he's yeah. when once you dial him in he's fine but it can be a little finicky even came with the goofy little sunglasses because some TVs. Oh, know, yeah, I forgot about those. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's... I would imagine, though, if you can get your zapper working, it's the same tech, so... Yeah. It's just it's farther away. That's That can be the issue. Yeah, yeah I've done that. Done my fair amount of zapping on this TV. You're probably going to be okay. I will be interested to hear the report on that one. Uh, this is kind of interesting to me now that you're getting so close to being uh, through the library, so... Um, it's that's pretty. It's, that's a big accomplishment, man. If, it, if I can do it by October 11th, uh, that is the 10 year anniversary of me starting this challenge. So really? Before then, I can do it in less than 10 years. Wow, a decade of your life committed to playing through all these games. So that's like what 60 something games a year. Yes, but when I had my store. Uh, I really wasn't doing this. That was kind of like a four-year hiatus, five-year hiatus. But you're working two jobs, so yeah. Yeah, there was no time to play games when I was buying and selling games. Yeah, uh, well, that's true. Very good. Well, that's exciting to hear. I, I never want to attempt anything like that, but <laughs> it's fun for me to sit back and kind of live vicariously through you. You don't want to play through every Apple II game? I do not. <laughs> but... Some of them are really bad. Yeah. Well, same with any system. Like, yeah, there's a lot of bad NES games. I don't know. I think I would probably take most of the bad NES games over some of the bad computer games of back yeah, in the day. Probably. Well, I'd be curious if any of our listeners... I don't even know, you know, maybe we get some feedback, if any of our listeners even has, like, an old computer thing they're into, right? Do they have these machines? Or are we kind of unique in this? Did anybody play them back in the day? Um, yeah, I'd be interested to hear. Another thing to mention before we wrap up too is, um, I mentioned it last time, but for our patrons, uh, I started a channel in the, uh, discord for your patron picks for generation three. So we'll be doing a gen three episode for most influential game of gen three. So if you want to have us read your picks, put them in the patron pick, um, thing on patreon and discord and if you want us to read your stuff and you're not a patron then throw a buck in and go put your picks in the discord and we'll be happy to read them out i will be curious to see how we align one really good one in there already we do we've got mike's in there that he was thoughtful about putting it in there um i already got mine in my mind as to what i think it's gonna be I, i don't i'm having a much harder time with this one really yeah to me it was pretty easy but uh, I, I'll be curious to see what you guys come up with. There, it, I, I think it's hard to overshadow a couple, but uh, you know, again, I, I think there's enough diversity there with the three of us. I think I'll be surprised if we all pick similar things. Yeah, from now on. Yeah, I, th- I thought I was more worried about that last time, but I don't think that'll be too big of an issue going forward. Yeah, because there's probably one pretty obvious standout that most people would probably go to for for gen three but i don't know i i don't i don't know i don't really just i don't really agree with what probably most people would think is the stand is the is the common denominator so 
I'll leave that for that. And uh, again, we want to get we want to get your picks in because I want to be able to read what you guys are thinking. Uh, that, that's a really big deal. I want to have that in there. So um, make sure to get your pick in so I've got something to read when the time comes and it's not just me reading Mike's piece, even though <laughs> Mike's piece is good and I'm going to be happy to read it. Um, so, you know, if you want to be a patron, it's uh, what? Patreon.com slash CollectorCast. Correct. Uh, a buck is all you got to toss in the kitty and uh, we'll give you access where you can go over there and chit-chat. And with our nice small little group of folks to keep it well mediated, <laughs> no toxicity allowed. Um, well, good. Well, is there anything else we need to talk about with uh, with this? And I'll let you you wrap this up then. No, thanks for letting me do this. It was it was a fun like little side project for me. As soon as you mentioned uh, you're into Apple II and Commodore sixty four, just like keep trying to keep special focus on those while I was reading was uh, interesting way to do it. Well, very good. Did that mean you were skipping a lot of PC stuff, I would guess? No, I, I didn't skip anything. Like, I've read this cover to cover so far. Uh, it was just those kind of things jumped out at me more than they might have otherwise. Like, I don't know if I would have paid as much attention to Death Lord if uh, <laughs> I didn't have you in mind while I was reading it. Very good. Well, you know, I mean, how could you not pay attention to a game called Death Lord? <laughs> well, very good. Well, um, thanks everybody there very much for taking the time to sit, to listen to us and uh kelsey anything to take us out uh no just follow us on twitter if you're not already it's uh at kelsey polnick and at CollectorCast. very and good at bill mcgee any new writing stuff on the horizon uh those lock on issues are in the mail you should have yours by next show i hope i yeah i'm really looking forward to when that shows up so and uh i think you can get the digital version too if you didn't uh yeah, subscribe the digital version is available anytime now very good. We'll go out and read that stuff, and uh, we'll talk to everybody really soon.